We left off on uh, chapter 5 and verse 41, and I believe we're at the bottom of page 57, which is, if you guys don't have it, it's coming around. Uh, I did run off a couple extra copies there. Uh, But we were uh, ending here with this ordeal uh, between the apostles and the Jewish leadership. And so in verses 41 and 42, uh, it wraps up and you see the release of the apostles. Now, as they're released... The response is not what you would expect. Go ahead. Could you say what book we're in? What? Acts chapter 5. I got people watching. Oh. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so uh, as they're released, what would you expect? What, what would we expect would be the response of uh, us? When we go through an ordeal, right? We've been wrongfully accused of doing something that was actually right. And uh, my response, I'm going to tell you right now, probably would... (laughs) Well, that might be the response. Some people's response might be anger, (laughs) bitterness, right? But this is not what you see here, right? As they're released, as they are spiritual and filled by the Spirit, they go out rejoicing, and that doesn't sound common to what we would see a human response being. I, I like to tuck between your tail response there too, Scott. Uh, 41, it says, and they departed. And let's go back just a little bit here just to provide context for those that haven't been uh, here. And it has been a couple of weeks since we've been in this context. But pick it up and um, let's go back to verse 34. It says, then uh, stood up there in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be something or somebody to whom a number of men, about 400 joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this, a man arose up, or after this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in, these, in the days of taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be out from men, it will come to naught. And so remember, uh, Gamaliel's providing here reason, right? And in the face of just unabated emotion (laughs) that's coming from these Jews. And he's telling them, hey, look, think this through, what you're about to do. Because God has the ability to work out situations the way that he desires. You don't want to be found to be fighting against God. In verse 39, it says, but if it be out from God as to source, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to be fighting against God. Now, interestingly enough, these are the ones that are charged with defending God, right? And defending God. The Jewish religion, which is supposed to be out from God as to source. And they're, in this instance, fighting directly against God. In verse 40, it says, And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name 
of Jesus and let them go. Now, they're not going to let it all play out the way that it's supposed to, right? They have to get their little uh, edge in there. And re remember, a couple weeks ago, we framed this whole ordeal as the battle for the souls of the Jews, right? Of the Jewish people. They want to influence these people. And so what are they going to do? They're not going to let this just play out. They're still going to try to have influence over what these people think. Now, truth, we talked about it. Truth should be able to stand on its own, right? <laughs> if this is truly not out from God, it should just be able to play out on its own and it should fizzle. But if it's out from God, anything that you're doing against that, you're fighting against God. So these beatings that they gave them were fighting against God. This attempt that they're trying to squelch this message that is about Jesus is fighting against God. And they really don't even understand that much. But in verse 41 and 42, that catches us up to where we are. And it says, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Now, as they're departing, this is simultaneous. It's a participle here that means this is happening simultaneous to as they're leaving the presence of these men. What are they doing? They're rejoicing. Rejoicing. And uh, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, go ahead, Brother Dunn. Just a question. What, what effect do you think it had on the Sanhedrin when they went out rejoicing after they got beaten? Mm -hmm. That's, that's an interesting question you arise there, Brother Don. What, what would be the response? Now, they see these men and how they've, in their minds, they probably think they were just in beating these men, right? And doing what they did. But the response of a human being to doing something to other people, usually you expect a certain response, right? You would expect vitriol. You would expect people to depart from their uh, as Brother Scott said, with their tail tucked between their legs and to have them rejoicing <laughs> that they were counted worthy to suffer shame on behalf of the Lord. Maybe we, we can't say we don't know what their response was, but just imagine that. There's something wrong with them, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And so we see this here. Uh, they were counted worthy of suffering shame in verse 42. And it says in daily in the temple. And in every house, they cease not uh, to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And so this didn't stop them, right? We, what was the famous line that was said when they said before, didn't we tell you not to preach in this name? What did they tell them? We ought to obey God rather than men, right? And so this is not going to stop them in this instance either. They're going to continue on doing what they need to do. Uh, and I want to know, I want you guys to know, uh, we started out here at the very onset of this book and the importance of what the events were at the beginning of this book. You see a very strong contrast to these men prior to chapter two and the coming of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and after. And we talked about it. We set up uh, throughout the Gospels, even as you're looking at Peter. Very weak man, right? <laughs> very strong intentioned, but a very weak man when it all came down to it. A man that jumped out and said, yeah, I can walk on water and, and go out and meet the Lord. And then his faith sunk him <laughs> right to the water, right? A man that said, yes, wherever you go, whatever happens, I will go with you. 
And when it all came down, when the stuff hit the fan, as they say, he scattered just like the rest of them. But after, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, you see a very different man. And so I always like to bring attention to the fact here that it's not some super ability <laughs> that these apostles had that you or I don't have, right? They're not some great men that are up here on high <laughs> and we look to them and say, boy, if only I could have what they have. No, we have it all, right? We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as well. And so uh, people say, uh, what if persecution were to break out in America? Well, it would be the same power <laughs> that's given to us by the Holy Spirit that we all have access to that would cause us to stand in the same situation. And what what effect did this have? This had a huge effect on the people, right? As they're trying to stop this message concerning Jesus, they're preaching and teaching and stronger than ever before and being a witness of what it really looks like to live as a Christian. Now, there arises a problem in chapter 6, right? And so we have all of these uh, new followers being converted and coming to uh, believe the word. And I think anytime you see persecution break out, you see the church grow more and more and more. And this is just happens over and over again. Uh, but what were they doing? They had this communal living. Now, I've uh, posed it to the people here. You guys have decided that you're very dispensational, right, as it relates to uh, living as a community, as a church. You don't want to do that. You think that that's for uh, the early church and not for today. Am, am I right in that assertion? You guys still in that same place? You don't want to combine all of our resources into one? Okay. Uh, just putting it out there again. Maybe maybe time has changed things and you guys have changed your mind, but no. Uh, and so here we are. They're living together, right? They're sharing all things in common, giving need where need is needed. Uh, and I think this was necessary for the start of the church as they worked out how to utilize this newfound grace. And so pick it up in verse one of chapter six. And before we start there, let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. There's not really a good break here. And we're at the bottom of page 57, uh, looking at uh, uh, this power from the Holy Spirit to instruct the church in how to organize. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and grateful for the grace that you've provided to us. Grateful for the example of, of these early believers and how they were uh, able to figure it out uh, as to how to live in operation uh, with the Holy Spirit. And by that, um, that they were able to uh, give influence to us as to uh, how we should uh, operate. And it's very different. Uh, there are a lot of things that they did in those times that we're not doing today. And, and it's because we have a more uh, perfect understanding based on their life of how we're supposed to live. And so we're grateful for that. We pray that as we uh, continue through this study that we would uh, just have, again, a better appreciation for what we've been given by grace. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so in uh, chapter 1 of verse 6, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. And so here you see a very direct correlation to the persecution that was suffered by the apostles there. And then what happens? The number of the disciples multiplied. And so it didn't stop it, right? 
They say, don't preach in that name. They go out and continue to preach in that name. And what happens? Boom, the church grows. Uh, what an example. Uh, and there arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, you see, these Grecians are uh, Greek-born Jews that uh, uh, speak uh, Greek and that kind of thing. Uh, and then you have your natural Hebrews here, and there's a little bit of a, a quarrel going on. In verse 2, it says, Then uh, tw the twelve called the multitude of the dis disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Uh, but we will continually, con we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did miracles and wonders, uh, wonders and miracles among the people. And so you see here uh, these elected deacons, right? And so this position uh, that we still have around today, this office has been set up for uh, to help with the business of the church. Uh, but let's go back into verse 1 and break this down. And so what is the original issue that we see here? The issue is that some people feel as though they're not getting the treatment that other people are getting, right? Some people are getting a little bit more attention over here than others are getting, and they're starting to raise a fuss. And so uh, what do the apostles do? Uh, they rely on the ability, and we're at the top of page 58, uh, of the Holy Spirit to resolve these matters. And so, again, the overriding theme here that we're looking at is how the Holy Spirit helped in every facet of the Christian's life to be able to conduct themselves. And so here you see it with the electing of these deacons. Uh, but first thing we want to look at in verse 1 is the growth of the church. It says in verse 1, and in those days when the numbers of the disciples was multiplied, right? Multiplied in the face of all of this persecution that's going on. This word for multiplied comes from the idea of causing something to increase, right? Uh, my daughter is working on these multiplication tables right now, and they're teaching a lot differently than they used to teach when we were younger, right? Uh, we just memorize these multiplication tables, but they want them to put these little boxes together and count up the numbers of all seems confusing to me. But the, the net effect of it is multiplication is different than addition in that you're expanding at a faster rate than you would if you just added something, right? And this is what was happening with this church. It was blowing up. It wasn't like you were just going over and one person at a time, this guy over here. No, this is tens and hundreds of people being added to the church, uh, just like we saw after chapter two. Uh, we see this word used a couple different places that I just, just want to give you a flavor of how it's used. But over in uh, Acts chapter nine and verse 31, we also see it used in verse seven here. 
uh, where it says, and you, as you guys turn or turn in there, I'll just read it. It says, "And the word of God uh, increased, and the number of the disciples were multiplied after that the uh, deacons were elected." But over in uh, Acts chapter nine and verse thirty-one, as well. And here we see uh, that Paul helped the number uh, of the churches or those in the church grow. Uh, Pick it up in verse 23. It says, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. (laughs) Here you go again, right? Verse 24. But but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night uh, to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket and when uh, Saul uh, was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not uh, that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. Uh, But they went about to slay him, which when they the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent Paul or sent him forth to Tarsus. Verse 31, then uh, had the churches rest throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were uh, were edified and walking in fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. And so you see here, uh, Paul is able to, even in the spite of this persecution, what is he able to do? Teach the word, provide an example for what he's seen and what he's heard. And the church expands even in the uh, light of persecution there. Uh, Acts chapter 12 and verse 24, we also see of the expansion of the word of God after the death of Herod. Now, this Herod is a nasty, nasty <laughs> fellow <laughs> in more ways than one. Uh, and you see here that he came to his end. And the church uh, began to expand uh, after that. Put, pick it up in verse 20. It says, And Herod uh, was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. Now, again, we always bring this up, but you can see politics at work all the way back there, right? (laughs) People making backroom deals and trying to weasel their way through things or do things that suit them better. Uh, kissing up to people where they they need to in order to get benefits. And so uh, you see this is always going on with mankind. In verse 21, it says, And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in, uh, in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made oration unto them. And the people <laughs> gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And so they're really pouring it on thick here, right? In verse 23, what happens? And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave God not the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. And this is really uh, in history. They don't uh, (laughs) lay it out quite like this, but you can see that this actually did happen. This is an occurrence uh, 
uh, that aligns directly with history. In verse 24, it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And so you see there, uh, Mark, John Mark at that time was profitable. Uh, this was before the falling out <laughs> that occurred. Um, but this idea of multiplication, and so this expansion of the uh, influence of the church uh, in light of these uh, occurrences. Back over to uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, we see something similar happening here, right? And so the, the church is able to expand. Why? Because these apostles that had gone through their ordeal are still there standing and willing to witness and testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church multiplies. Now, uh, while this multiplication is happening, we see that there is this dispute that's also happening. And so what happens when you bring uh, people into one unit, one organization? There's going to be conflict <laughs> sometimes, right? We see it in, uh, with the Corinthian church, and the pastor is uh, going through that on Wednesday nights. There's a lot of disputing going on there, right, with them. Uh, you see it with even over in, in uh, Philippians when uh, Paul is writing there late in the chapter. Everything he has to write for, for them is good until he gets up there to chapter 4, and he has to touch on this little dispute that's going on. Uh, you see this happen often with churches. And so here, uh, a little small quarrel going on here regarding uh, the ministration and who's receiving uh, what here between the Grecians and the Hebrews. Now, I would say uh, at the heart of this probably is you have people that are uh, Greek-born Jews and you have the natural Jews. And these ones over here are probably saying, oh, we're, we're <laughs> this is just speculation on my part. But yeah, we're special because we were born right here in Jerusalem, right? We're from the motherland. And so they're, they're giving the Grecians a bit of a hard time. That would just be my, again, my speculation in that matter. Um, but we see the involved parties here, uh, again, are the Grecians or, or Greek-born uh, Greek Jews or Greek-speaking uh, Jews and then those uh, Hebrews. Uh, and the issue is the Grecians are murmuring against the Hebrews because they are uh, receiving more than they are receiving. Now, this word for murmured is an interesting uh, word that we uh, did. I give you guys page 59 or no? no. Oh, oops. Well, you'll get it next week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this word for murmuring has the idea as an expression of dissatisfaction, grumbling. Uh, and so we see it many places used. Uh, of murmuring and complaining, right? It's what the Israelites were doing when they were in the desert, right? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here into the wilderness to die, Moses? This kind of thing, right? Complaining, chronic, over and over again. And so this is going on uh, with these guys as well. I didn't cite any verses that we'll go to uh, for that, but it's due to the neglect of the Grecian widows and the inferred preference to the Hebrews through all uh, who were contributing, or though all were contributing collectively. And so what is it said here? Uh, it, in theory, these Grecians are giving just as much to the collective as the Hebrews are. But what's being redistributed is not equal, right? And so they're having a bit of a problem here. And so what is the solution here from the apostles? They call uh, together, they bring together uh, this collective of not just the apostles, but of the 
uh, of the disciples as well. Uh, and this word for calling together here um, has the idea of um, calling to oneself or summoning uh, a group. And so you see this being done. Um, and let me find my place here. Oh, so they called together the twelve. And so remember this uh, nickname of the apostles that they're called the 12, even in spite of the fact that one is missing, right? (laughs) At this time, Judas is gone. And they have elected uh, Matthias to take that place of Judas, but we never hear his name really mentioned. We just hear the rest of the 12. And so uh, we see this in a couple other places as well where they're called this. uh, Over in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. Go back there really quickly. Now, of course, this is while Judas was still alive. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. And it says there, and it came to pass afterward that he went uh, throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. And so uh, there were a lot of people called disciples, right? Anybody that followed Jesus at that time was called a disciple, but the twelve were unique, right? These are the first twelve that he called to follow him. And these are the ones that would come to be called the apostles uh, throughout the book of Acts. Uh, we also see a similar thing over there in chapter 9 and verse 12 of Luke and then in uh, chapter uh, 22 and verse 14, but we won't go to those. Um, <clears throat> and so not just these 12 as you're going back to the book of Acts in uh, Acts chapter 6 uh, that he called together. So he brings forth all of the apostles as, as well as these uh, disciples that were there uh, with him. And so the disciples is a term used early. Uh, to describe followers of Christ carrying over uh, from his earthly ministry. It is utilized until the other terms, such as that way and Christian, become more prevalent terms for those that are considered to be uh, Christians, as it were. Uh, Go with me over to uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 2. And we see this term of that way used. Now imagine... Uh, here, you know, we, we've all known Christianity and uh, this kind of thing all of our lives, so we've just known it as Christianity, right? But think of these times and how people were seeing these people and how they were viewed. They were viewed simply as just a, a offshoot of Judaism and really a, uh, they would have called them a cultish sect of Judaism at that time, right? They were not viewed in a good way. And so when they use this term that way, this was not, it was kind of a, a negative connotation for them, right? Uh, they're those of that way. They're, they're those that don't follow Judaism uh, in the way that they're supposed to. And you see that here. Uh, pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if that uh, that if he found any of this way whether they, they be men or women he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem right and so this way this offshoot this sect of Judaism 
uh, is how they're seeing them used. Now, they use it as a disparaging term. They, <laughs> the believers use it as a, a positive term for one another. Over in chapter 19 and verse 23, we also see this use. Now here, uh, Paul, of course, has made his conversion. Um, and pick it up in verse 21. It says, after these things were in ended, Paul purposed in the spirit or by the spirit uh, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I mu excuse me, I must see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two men that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, uh, both he, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. And so what is that way? <laughs> that way is this uh, following of Jesus, this uh, belief in the fact that Jesus died and was rose and buried again. Go ahead, Brother Rick. Uh, and here it has the, the way as being capitalized, mm -hmm. so referring to Christ. Mm -hmm. Probably your, your version there is wanting to draw attention to that as a, yeah. Absolutely. This is not something I just came to. This is kind of commonly known throughout uh, Christian circles. Uh, but over in uh, chapter 24 and verse 22, we see it used as well. And these couldn't, there could be more than this. I didn't uh, study it out intricately. I just kind of looked up the ones that I uh, saw in the, uh, in the concordance, but uh, that way uh, used here again. Uh, and just pick it up there from 22. It says, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When uh, Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, that he should uh, forbid none of his acquaintance uh, to minister or come unto him. And so here you see Felix, right? Uh, and Paul is in this pickle where he's having to appeal to all of these different people here, here Felix, uh, and he's telling him why it is that he's being persecuted, right? Why is it that they have me in chains and, and want to kill me, right? It's because of this faith that I have, right? And this faith being considered that way. And obviously Felix has a little bit of an understanding uh, concerning this, and so you see it used here as well. Uh, and then the other term that's used uh, concerning them, and the first time it's used is in Acts chapter 11, is the one that we use today to describe ourselves, right? We don't call ourselves uh, those people of that way, right? We call ourselves Christians. And when did this start? It started in Acts chapter 11, and pick it up in verse 26. And uh, actually, pick it up in verse 22. It says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas uh, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all uh, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. 
For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Uh, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so you see here the first term. There you go. Learn something new every day, Brother Rick. Uh, And so Christians was a term that came to be used here at Antioch. Uh, Now this uh, term uh, is used uh, of those that gathered after Christ's ascension uh, as you look back to this term for disciples. And so, uh, again, the transition went that these guys were first uh, coming out of uh, Christ's earthly ministry. The people that followed Christ or that believed in Christ were called what? They were called disciples because they followed after Christ. Uh, But as they developed now, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, you see it in different parts, right? Some some people back way back uh, that were converted during Christ's earthly ministry weren't there on the day of Pentecost, right? So they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. You see it over in Acts chapter 19 and verse 3 uh, as an example of that. Uh, but this term used uh, of those that gathered after Christ's ascension, uh, go back to Acts chapter 1, and we see that they were called um, disciples there. Even the 12. And pick it up in verse 12. Well, go back just a little bit. Uh, pick it up in verse 10. And so remember, the Lord has just given them instruction. He's told them uh, what they are to do. Times and seasons, not important to you guys. The kingdom uh, not going to be restored at this time. It is for you to go out and to spread the word of God. And in verse uh, 10, it says, And while they looked steadfastly toward the heavens, uh, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee. Why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus that is taken up from you into heaven shall uh, so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Uh, Then uh, return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, uh, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come, uh, come in, they went up into the upper room where abode Peter and James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, uh, and Matthew, and James, some son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These were all, these all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication uh, with the woman, or with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. And so remember, he goes in and gives his, uh, his explanation of what he thinks should happen. And we talked about this quite a bit uh, when we were coming through. Uh, was this out from God or was this out from Peter? Uh, leave that up to you guys to decide. But uh, the crux of it is here, he's doing all of this with the disciples. Those that were called followers. Remember yeah. Matthew 19 and 27 when they asked, the disciples asked Jesus, what would they have in their kingdom? They're going to sit on 12 thrones. Hmm. That's what Peter, I believe, was working on there. Sure. 
He's coming back. We got to get this thing filled. Sure, so sure. And and that goes together with the mind of the disciples. When will the kingdom be restored? And so, yeah, absolutely. His mind and even the citation he gives uh, could align with that. But was he in line with where God <laughs> was wanting him to go? Uh, who knows on that one? Um, but then in Acts chapter 14 and verse 20, we see that it is used of those standing around Paul after he was stoned. Acts chapter 14 and verse 20. And pick it up in verse 19. Now remember here, Paul is, is stoned. And just never seems just with these apostles, right? He was stoned because he wouldn't receive glory of being a God, right? He's saying, I'm not a God. I'm just a man just like you. And they stone him for it. Uh, but pick it up in verse 19. It doesn't pay to be humble in some, some occasions, right? Uh, verse 19, it says, And there came uh, thither a certain, uh, certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded uh, the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed uh, with Barnabas to Derby. Now, <laughs> uh, I don't know how much you guys know about stoning. This is not, uh, <laughs> this is not people just standing here and I'm going to just throw a little pebble at you until you die no they're throwing huge <laughs> rocks at people like like big rocks uh and i'm pretty sure paul died in this instance and if you go over to uh, uh first corinthians uh I, I think there's some support for that uh however uh he was raised and so uh in the midst of this who knows how long the time pass was uh, but you see these disciples that were uh, standing round about him uh, and ministered to him after that. Uh, reading on is in verse 22 as well. Uh, it says in verse 21, And when they had uh, preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, uh, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, why would they do that, right? He just got stoned there. Uh, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And so tribulation is just going to be a part of it, right? <laughs> These things are going to happen. Now, thank God for us that we're not having to sit in the midst of people that want to stone us just for teaching the word of God. Uh, but who knows what it might come to. It might, might come to that someday. Again, it'll be the same Holy Spirit that's strengthening us to uh, make it through. Uh, Acts chapter 15 and verse 10, we see this is used uh, of those who converted Gentiles and Hebrews in the first church, uh, first church council. Acts chapter 15 and verse 10. We see this term for disciples. Now remember the issue here is that you're starting to have Gentiles that are coming in and believing, right? And so the Jews are saying, hey, they, they've got to practice law. <laughs> they've got to do just like we do. And they're saying, well, the law was never given to the Gentiles. There's a little bit of a, an issue going on here, right? Uh, but pick it up in verse 5. It says, but there arose certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, saying that it is needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there uh, had been much disputing, 
Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, when we get here, it's going to be very interesting because this is going to start to break down a lot of the things that you see concerning the law, right? <laughs> because uh, they're just at a misunderstanding of what it is that they need to do. They're still thinking, hey, we're Jews. We're supposed to operate by law. Not seeing that God is laying the foundation for them to start transitioning away from this. And he's already done it with Peter, right? When he appeared to him and he let all of these things come down that he was supposed to kill and eat in a vision, right? And Peter says, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And what does he say to him? What I have made clean, don't call it unclean. He's showing him right there. It's time to make a move away from this. Peter, it took them a while to understand. And as you go throughout the book of Acts, you see this over and over again uh, with believers. They, they're not quite there as far as understanding grace. Uh, and it took them a while to get to that understanding. But in verse 10, it says, Now, therefore, when uh, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? There's that word. Which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. And so Peter understands here, hey, we never kept the law. <laughs> I'm not under any misconception that we were able, ever able to do this. We did the best we could. We gave sacrifices where we were supposed to, but we always messed it up ourselves. Now you're trying to give this to the Gentiles as well. Uh, not the right thing to do, but we'll get into that when we get there. Uh, and so this term for disciples is used there. Over in uh, Acts chapter 20, and we're going to just uh, note these and close out as we're at time, uh, but it's used of uh, the customary communion of the believers at Troas together. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 21 and uh, verse 16, it's used of the believers at Caesarea. But you see this term uh, for disciples used a lot in the book of Acts, but it starts ending there, right? And then you see these other terms that are used kind of intertwined with them. And so this is just another way of, of describing the believers. And I think uh, just in the absence of having a total understanding of what's going on there, uh, as you see in the epistles, right, it's, it's very clear, right, who he's writing to and who he's talking to. And you never see this word for disciples uh, used in those, those uh, instances. Uh, and so we'll come back next week and we'll continue on. Uh, but these disciples uh, were called together with the 12 and they're going to have a discussion about this issue that's going on. Right. These uh, Grecians being neglected in the daily ministration. And so what's going to be the solution to set up the office of deacon? And we'll get there and cite some of our deacons in this church uh, and, and have a good time with that next time. <laughs> we'll leave off on point C. Oh, yeah, you guys don't have this page, but um, we'll get that to you as well next week. But uh, it is not reason or it is not pleasing for us to leave the word of God to serve tables. Sounds kind of disparaging of the work that they're doing. Well, we'll clarify it for you guys next week. I'll leave you on that cliffhanger. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful again uh, that you've provided for us an example 
that we can look back at and see. Uh, and, and anything that we do um, or, or that people do, uh, when we first start to do it, it it's never uh, as good as it's going to be when it's been given time. And we understand that with the church as well, that early on, these, these uh, believers did not understand how to use the grace that you provided to them. And it was through a lot of uh, trial and error, through a lot of uh, the Holy Spirit pointing things out to them, that they were able to uh, finally understand how it is that they're supposed to live this life. And so, uh, again, we're the beneficiaries of that. And to be able to uh, look at the book of Acts and understand uh, that, that there's a lot that they were doing that is not for us today, and there's a lot of things that they got wrong uh, that we're able to get right because they provided uh, an example. We're grateful for this. We, we'd ask that you would uh, uh, just, just keep the Holy Spirit illuminating our minds to those things that we need to know uh, throughout, that we might be better servants of you. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.